today uh, would have differences. Uh, we would probably have differences politically. We probably don't vote all for the same person or the same time. Uh, we probably have different ideas and views of things. We might even differ in some, differ in some ways theologically uh, as, we, as it relates to, uh, hopefully we're in agreement as it relates to the core issues of the faith, but there'll be some things that we might disagree as far as when the Lord comes, uh, will Christians go through the tribulation and so on. We might even disagree some musically. Uh, as to what is acceptable worship in a, uh, what is acceptable worship music, what's not, uh, what, and, and, and look at all these kinds of different things. But, but I do believe, however, that one statement I think that we would all agree with today is that we live in a broken, disfigured world. And all we have to do is look at the signs. Just think about what's been going on in our world lately, fear and hostility on the decision to wear or not to wear a mask. Uh, I mean, there's been hostile, hostile situations that have occurred because of that. Loss of basic rights and abuse of power under the guise of public health, if you've kept up with the Supreme Court ruling here just this past week from California as it relates to churches. We've seen bigotry and hatred and even murder perpetuated on citizens by those who have sworn to protect them. Those who have sworn to protect them have been the perpetrators. We've seen mistrust and suspicion, false accusations, vigilantism, all perpetrated on others based solely on their skin tone. The possibility this past week of being gunned down as you sit in your own driveway. You sit in your own driveway. And you're gunned down. We've seen legitimate, righteous anger. Legitimate, righteous anger being tarnished by those who use it as an excuse for personal gain, lawlessness, and wanton destruction. Our world, our country, our cities, and our neighborhoods are certainly troubled. All one need to do is look at the signs. Quite honestly, we all need to be troubled by what we're, what we're witnessing. But if that's all we are, is just troubled, it's simply not enough. As believers, we must pray, we must become engaged, we must love, we must share the love of Christ. For Christ is the only hope this world has through His forgiveness and redemption that's available through His person and through the work of Jesus Christ. But, but one more thing. Our broken, mangled, troubled world should cause us to be realistic about our current world. Christ is, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And, and, and we live here, and, and we're not just supposed to just throw up our hands and say, oh, well, it's going to get better by and by when Jesus comes. We are to engage our world. We are to, to be here to make a difference for righteousness' sake. But at the same time, we recognize that our world is broken. At the same time, we recognize that no matter who's in office, no matter what political party is in power, uh, no matter what laws are passed, there's always, 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 always going to be these things happening. Now, that doesn't mean we give up. and That doesn't mean that we throw up our hands. and That doesn't mean that we, 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 we take uh, advantage of our, the rights and privileges that we have and, and, and we engage and we protest and we do all those things. 
We're not saying that, but we do need to recognize things are not going to be the way they need to be until Jesus comes. Until Jesus comes. So we need to be realistic about our current world while at the same time longingly anticipating the world to come. And just as the aforementioned signs that we talked about in our introduction clearly reveal the condition of this current troubled world, the signs of the consummation of the world to come will be evident to all who want and who are ready to see them. That's what the text is about today. This morning's text reveals those signs. Again, as we've been making our way through this, Jesus begins by this discourse by talking about the things that don't, the signs that are not a part of the end of the world. These things are going to happen, but it's not the sign of the end of the age. And now Jesus has made His way to where now He's talking to them about the signs that do precede the end of the age. And in verses 25 and 26, we're going to see the comprehensiveness of these signs. You can't escape them. All you got to do is open your eyes. They're going to be everywhere. Whether you look upon what's taking place around you, whether you look up to the skies, uh, all you've got to do is look. And, And the signs are comprehensive. Not only that, but in verse 27, he talks about the consummation of these signs. All these signs are pointing to one particular event. All these signs are are pointing to to one moment that's going to change the whole course. Just as Jesus' first coming changed the whole course of history, His second coming is going to change the whole course of history as well. And then verses 28-31, we look at the comprehension of the signs. What is it that we need to understand about these signs? And, and, And this really kind of where it fits in with you and I today. What is it that we need to understand? As, as we think, because we're not to those signs yet. We, you and I may never see these signs. But yet there are some things that we'll talk about as we, we relate back to it. There's still some things that we need to understand as we look at the signs that Jesus is talking about. So, so let's look at the comprehensiveness of these signs. Look at verses 25 and 26 again. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. In these verses, Jesus uses Old Testament apocalyptical imagery. These images from the last days, these images from the upheaval and the moaning and the labor of this creation coming to the end of the age. And he begins to focus, in this particular verse, he begins to now focus more directly on the end of the age. Prior to this, he hasn't. He's, talking about, he's talked about the destruction of Jerusalem, which, going to, which, which is going to happen about three decades after he, after he shares this, three to four decades after he shares this with, his, with the twelve. He's talked about the things that are going to happen that are not signs of the end of the age. He's talked about the persecution that, uh, that those who follow Jesus are going to face. But now he, 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 has, he has moved further down the road. He, he's moved further into the future, and he talks now about these signs. And again, he uses this Old Testament imagery. I've given you, uh, there's a lot of examples of the verses there from, from Isaiah, from Ezekiel, from Joel. Let me, let me just read you one of them from Isaiah 13, verses 9 and 10, and you see it, where Isaiah writes, Behold the day of the Lord. Behold the day of the Lord comes, cruel, 
with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. And again, this type of same imagery is found in Isaiah 24 and Isaiah 34 and Ezekiel 32 and in Joel 2 and in Joel 3. So he he uses this, when Jesus is saying these words, I mean, they know exactly where he's talking about. They know exactly where he's speaking. He's talking about the day of the Lord. The day, of ju- the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. It's also a day of blessing. But Jesus lets them know that, that these signs are comprehensive. They, are, they will be everywhere. Everywhere. All you've got to do is look around you, Jesus says, and these signs will be evident. That, first of all, they are comprehensive in their scope. Look at verse 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity. Because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. So the scope is not only, it's cosmic and it's global. There's going to be signs that will be evident from from the cosmos. Signs that will be evident with with what's going on in the cosmos. There's going to be signs, there's going to be global signs. Where where you just need to look around at what's happening around you. What's happening uh, with, with the oceans. What's happening with the waves. And you also see the severity. It's going to be comprehensive in its severity. Look, look at the severity on the earth where he says there's going to be distress of nations and perplexities because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. He's speaking of the, the, the pictures that of, of, of tide, tsunamis. It's of, of, of oceans that, that are just, just, just rolling and rolling and rolling in these, these, these gigantic waves that you hear about every now and then that are 60, 70 foot uh, tall and, and the tsunamis that come and just, just wash away uh, and reaching the shore. So you, you have these oceans that seemingly are out of control. The tides and the tsunamis. You see the severity in the heavens where he says in verse 26, for the powers of the heavens will be shaking. Now, either this is a little a literal reference to a cosmic disturbance or it's a metaphor for the distress in the spiritual realm. A lot of times in the Old Testament, when talking about the spiritual powers, uh, it talks about the powers in in the heavens. And in fact, Paul talks about that, that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the heavens. And so it's either talking about literally what's going on with the the, the celestial bodies, or it's it's being used as a metaphor to talk about that, that even the spiritual world, is going to be in conflict. Even the spiritual world, there is, there is this, this, this huge conflict, this, this huge battle that's taking place. And the heavenly bodies, uh, where he talks about the fact that he says, uh, and there in verse 26, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That word there is used to talk about a reed that is blown by the wind. Think about uh, times maybe uh, you, you've seen pictures of hurricanes and, and you see how the trees are just bending, just bending. These, 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 these majestic, powerful trees, just, just, that wind just bends them. And, the, and, and they're just moving back and forth and back and forth and, 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 and leaves are flying everywhere and dead branches are falling out of the trees. That's the word that's used here. It's, it's also used to describe the upheaval of an earthquake. I've never been in one, and I know I'm kind of weird. I'd like to kind of be in an earthquake just to kind of you know what, it, what, it, what it's like. 
Uh, maybe once I'm in it, I may not want to be. But, but, I mean, I've seen the pictures where, I mean, just the upheaval of it. I mean, and you're thinking, man, the ground's supposed to be steady. The ground's supposed to be firm. I mean, I mean, I mean this is, and yet there's no place to go. The whole ground underneath your feet is, is up and down and rolling and back and forth. That's the word. That's the kind of turmoil. That's the kind of power. That's the kind of chaos that's taking place. Jesus says there's, there's no escape. There's no escape. Humanity is surrounded by a creation reeling in anticipated judgment. There's no escape. Look up. Look down. Look around. Everything has fallen apart. The world is being shaken. The cosmos is being shaken. But Jesus not only talks about the comprehensiveness of the scope, the comprehensiveness of the severity, He talks about the comprehensiveness of the shock. He talks about the nations, and then He talks about the individual. Look at verse 25. He says, There will be signs, sun, moon, stars, and on earth, distress of nations in perplexity. The idea, the word that's translated distress there in the ESV is the word sunuke. And the idea is being traumatized psychologically. The nations are going to be traumatized. Just traumatized psychologically. So much so, he says that there's going to be this perplexity, distress of nations in perplexity. It's the word aporia, which has the idea of being paralyzed mentally. This time when this takes place is going to be so horrific. It's going to be so, uh, so climatic. It's going to be so chaotic that the nations themselves are going to go, what do we do? What do we do? They're fearful. They're they're, they're traumatized. They're paralyzed. And that when these signs are happening, the nations are going to have no idea what to do. But not only do you see the shock among the nations, you see the shock among the individuals. It says, people feigning with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on this world. The individuals are traumatized emotionally. The word that's translated faint, uh, fainting in our English is a compound word, apopasuke. Pasuke is spelled P-S-Y-C-H-O. We get our word psycho from it. Psycho. Apo is a, apo is a prefix which has the idea of, of, of with or after or out. And, 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 and though you can't always do this with, with compound words, but, but basically... They're going to be traumatized emotionally. They're going to be psycho. That's how emotionally, that's how emotionally traumatized they are. They've gone psycho. They're outside of themselves. The word, the word pasuke means it's also translated soul, or it's also translated self. They're, they are, you ever heard somebody say, I'm just, I feel like I'm just outside of myself. I can't control anything. I'm just, I'm just outside of myself. That's the trauma. That's the experience of the people. Not only that, but he says they're not only people fainting with fear and with foreboding. Prosdokia. 
a dreaded uncertainty. A dreaded uncertainty. What are we going to do? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Where are we going to go? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. There's just this uncertainty that's talking, and the text talks about this uncertainty is about what is coming on the world. What's going to happen next? How much worse can it get? What's going to be taking place? Am I going to make it through this? Jesus with very strong words. Jesus with very strong language. Language that is emotionally charged. Language that is designed to grab a hold of you. Jesus using some of the strongest words that He can use to get across the comprehensiveness of these signs of the last days. There's no escaping it. There's no getting around it. The comprehensiveness of the signs scope, the signs severity, and the signs shock. Paint a picture of raw terror as creation itself signals God's judgment. A picture of raw unabated, unrelenting terror as creation itself signals God's judgment. But what is it signaling? What's the, what, what is this pointing to? And verse 27 tells us the consummation of the signs, which is found there in verse 27. And then, after all these signs, when, after the, when these signs take place, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 27 is the consummation of the revealed signs of the two previous verses. In other words, after you see these things, after you see the cosmic and the global signs taking place, after you see its severity on the earth and in the heavens, and after you experience the shock in the nations and the shock individually, he says, that's when it's going to happen. After this occurs, then this happens. When these signs occur, then you can be certain that this is going to happen. And the then that the text is talking about is the authoritative return of the Son of Man. The authoritative return of the Son of Man. Once again, just as Jesus did in the previous verses, Jesus anchors His statement in the Hebrew Scriptures. Just as he was using that imagery from Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel, Jesus uses a title and Jesus uses imagery. It goes back to Daniel chapter 7. Look at Daniel chapter 7. Uh, if you would please, or, if, uh, or you can look at it later. In Daniel chapter 7, when, when Daniel has this dream and this vision, Daniel says in verse 13, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven... With the clouds of heaven, there came, uh, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What we sang earlier about every knee bowing. Every person bending the knee. All these signs point to the fact that the Creator of the universe, the Savior of the world, the Son of God and Son of Man has returned. 
to execute justice, to redeem, to restore, to remake, and to deliver. Amen. Amen. Jesus, there's no doubt, there's no doubt, Jesus is making a statement here of His divinity. No doubt. Jesus did not have an identity crisis. Jesus wasn't trying to figure out who He was. Jesus knew who He was. He was the Son of God. He's always been. He's God the Son and the Son of God. The one who robed himself in human flesh to become like one of us so that we could not, so that we would not have to experience the wrath of God. He, he makes no, he's referring to himself there. Then verse 26, when he talks about the, uh, when he, uh, verse 27, I'm sorry, when he says, and then will they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud. Who's this Son of Man? Well, Jesus identifies him earlier in Luke's gospel. Look at Luke chapter 9. Look at verse 26, Luke chapter 9 and verse 26. Luke 9 and verse 26. Let's just start at verse 23. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus says, I'm the Son of Man. In fact, he asked the disciples this question to Peter. Whom do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus had no identity. Jesus knew exactly who he was claiming to be. He's a man, he's a human, but he's much, 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 much more than that. He's also God. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, and the the, the imagery that's used of coming in clouds, of coming or arriving in a cloud presents Jesus as unique. I don't know about you, but there's times when I've flown and stuff, and when I was taking flying lessons years ago, I used to think, I wonder why you just can't step out of the plane and walk on the cloud, you know? It seems like I mean it's all. It seems like it's pretty solid. I mean, it seems 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 pretty, especially when you see those those cumulus clouds that are just building up, and and you think, man, I mean that, that thing's pretty solid. And and you think about how I mean one thing, especially when you're flying a little Cessna 172, you you don't want to pop through a cloud just to pop through, because that thing, if it's cum, I mean that the, the air drafts that are tan, I mean I think it throw you every which way but loose. But I used to think, man, wouldn't it be neat just to be able to step out and kind of walk on those things? Well, you can try it. You're not going to get very far. You might get one step, you know, boom, you know, and down you go. But this idea of Jesus walking on the clouds, he's unique. It speaks of his regality. It speaks of him possessing supreme majesty, and he returns with power and with great glory and with the authority. Notice what he says there in the text, and then you will see, uh, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Just what he, just what Daniel was talking about in Daniel chapter seven. The Son of Man's coming brings vindication to his suffering people. All the, all those brothers and sisters who who, who we witnessed to in that that video this morning of, of our persecuted brothers and sisters, and it broke our hearts to see it. 
When the Son of Man comes, He brings vindication to His suffering people. And He brings judgment to the oppressors as He exercises justice and mercy to a world which will be reclaimed for His glory. He's coming. He's coming. And so that's what He's planning on doing when He gets here. I need to be the kind of person that, that promotes justice. I need to be kind a person that, that promotes mercy. I need to be the kind, I need to represent Jesus well. I don't just say, well, you know, let's just, I mean, okay, let me just kind of mark my time in this world because it really sucks here. And, and, then, and then, you know, then I'm just waiting for the world to come. God's put us here to make a difference. To make a difference in our community and the influence that we have and, and, and the doors that God opens up for us. But at the same time, we recognize this world's never going to get fixed. It's never, ever, ever, ever going to get fully fixed until Jesus comes. Until Jesus comes. So, how are we to presently live because of this future event? This event is future. It's future. How far in the future? I don't know. But it's future. So if this event is so far away, how am I to presently live? And that brings us to the last four verses, which deals with the comprehension of the signs. Verse 28 Verse 31 forms an inclusio. We've talked about an inclusio. Inclusio is like a parenthesis. I like to describe inclusio as a sandwich. Okay? You know, when you make a sandwich, you got bread and you got bread. Unless you're on a low carb diet, then you may have lettuce and lettuce, okay? Uh, but you know, you've got bread and you've got bread, and then you've got something in between that bread. It might be chicken salad, it might be tuna fish, it might be a hamburger, it might be ham and Swiss, you know, but you've got something between that bread. There's two pieces. It might be, you ever had, anybody ever, ever had a fried potato sandwich? Talk about carbs. Uh, you know, uh, but you've got bread and bread and then you've got fried potatoes in there, okay? But you've got the bread. Verse 28 and verse 31 is the bread. L- look at how similar they are. Look, look at verse 28. It says now, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. Look at verse 31. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. You see the similarities? You see the similarity there? About these things that are taking place. When these things take place, he says, then you know something. These things are taking place. This is what you do because your redemption is drawing nigh. Verse, 39, uh, verse 31, when you see these things take place, there's something that how you need to respond. And the reason is because the kingdom of God is near. So you've got, you've got these two pieces of bread, these two similarities. So verse 28 and verse 31 forms for us an inclusio. The writer wants us to compare. He wants us to compare. So let's compare. Look at the first part of verse 28. Now in these things, look at the first part of verse 31. So also when you see these things, when you see these things begin to take place, when you see these things taking place, what things? What things? Now, 
the first obvious answer would be, go well, the things that he's talking about in verses 25 through, through, through 28 so far. But when you look at the text and you look at how it's structured, these things really go all the way back to the events <clears throat> excuse me, that begin in verse 8. When Jesus says, See that you're not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified for these things. These, these, for these things must first take place. Again, these things must take place. But the end will not be at once. So what things is Jesus referring to here? Well, he's talking about all the events of verses 8 through 27, which includes the events that are, are not the signs of the end of the age. So Jesus is not just talking about the things that, that happen right at the end of the age. Jesus is talking about those things that happen before the end of the age that are still signs, that are the precursors. Remember when we, when we first start on this, we ask, you, we, we, we ask the question uh, that some people are asking, is COVID-19 a sign of the end of the age? And the answer was, no, it's not. But it is in the sense it's a precursor of what the end of the age is going to look like. It's a precursor of what the end of the age is going to look like. It's a foreshadowing. It's kind of a, 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 a preview. Like I know when Friday night, for, I, I know we live a boring life, but on Friday night, Lisa and I order out, and I get on, I've got Amazon Prime, and I get on Amazon Prime, and I decide what movie we're going to watch. And most of the time, I pick a pretty good one, right, babe? Most of, yeah, she's, she, see how surprised she was when she got that answer? Yeah, uh, most of the time, and, you, and what I'll do is I will look at the trailer. I'll first read about it. I'll see what it's rated. I'll kind of get the plot line. I kind of know what she likes. And then I'll watch the trailer. And that trailer will give me an idea of what the movie is like. What we're going through right now are not the signs of the end of the age. But they do serve as a trailer. As a trailer of what it's going to look like. It gives you an idea. It helps to plot out the storyline. It fills in a few of the blanks, but you don't really get a whole idea of what the movie's about. But you get enough understanding to say, you know what? I think I'll watch this. I think I'll watch this. Or I don't think I will watch this. The things that we're experiencing today are the trailer. Are the trailer. We're then asked to compare verses 28b and 31b because there are three imperatives. Look, look at 28 again. He says, now when these things begin to take place, then he says, this is what you need to do. Straighten up and raise your heads. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, when I was a kid, my dad used to say, you better straighten up and fly right. Anybody ever told that? And so after dad would leave, <laughs> we would go, don't fly this way. Don't fly that way. Fly this way, okay? You know, so, you know, that's, I mean, they figured it out sooner or later. We, you know, we kind of do this, kind of do this. Thing. But, you know, straighten up and fly right. Well, that's kind of the idea. I mean, he says, straighten up and raise your heads. Now, now look at verse 31. He says, so also when you see these things take place, and this is, now, some think this is an indicative, it's a statement, but, but it also can be an imperative, and I think it's an imperative here. He says, for when you see these things take place, there in verse 31, taking place, 
you know or no. They've tried to translate it in the ESV as an indicative. If you translate it as an imperative, you'd say it this way. So when you when you see so also when you see these things taking place, no. No. There's three imperatives there. Straighten up, raise your head, and no. So what's he talking about here? The idea he, he couples together straighten up and raising your head. So it's it's the picture of someone who's whose shoulders are drooped, whose head is down. And and all i got to do is just kind of do like this, and you know the emotions that I'm feeling. Your shoulders are drooped, your head's down, feelings of despair, feelings of hopelessness. Just kind of like this. And when he says to straighten up and raise your head, he's saying have hope. It's symbolic of hope. It's symbolic of rejoicing. When you see these things taking place, it's easy for us to see what's going on in our world today. These precursors, this movie trailer of what the end is going to look like, and it's easy for us to get defeated and discouraged. You think, I mean, I remember the 60s. I remember the 60s. I remember, I mean, some of you see some of the stuff and you think, oh my goodness, you should have lived in the 60s. I know that makes me sound like an old man, okay? Back in my day, you know, we walked up the hill twice, coming back, going to school and going back home, you know, in the snow, six foot deep. But what Jesus is talking about here and what he's saying is, up. Look up. Have hope. Have hope. When you see these things, look up and have hope. And and, and Jesus is going to tell us why here in just a second. But the third imperative is no. He says, so when you also see these things taking place, no. The command is to be certain. The command is to live in light of that certainty. So, so quit having those shoulders drooped. Quit being despondent. Quit being discouraged. Quit being hopeless. Straighten up. Put those shoulders back. Hold your head up. And know, have certainty. Well, well what? What is the subject of that certainty? And this inclusio then asks us to compare that last phrase. Why straighten up and raise your head? Because your redemption is drawing near. What is it that you're supposed to know? That the kingdom of God is near. They're the same thing. He's coupling them together. It's a parallelism. It's a Hebrewism. The drawing near of the visible manifestation of God's kingdom. Again, the parallelism. God's kingdom is our redemption. Now, he's not talking about our redemption to salvation. He's not talking about the moment when you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I was redeemed then. We sing about that. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I was redeemed at that moment when I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior and Lord. But but redemption is not just that narrow aspect of it. Redemption has a much broader perspective. And here... How, how it's being used by Luke. He's talking about this broader perspective. 
God's kingdom is our redemption. Because it, by, by being used in this broad way, it refers to our deliverance from this broken, mangled, troubled world into His kingdom. Yes, are things broken? Yes. Are things troubled? Yes. Are things mangled? Yes. Is, is, is suffering difficult? Yes. Is, is the future uncertain? Yes. All those things are true. Christianity doesn't tell you to put your head in the sand. All those things are true. But Christ is with me. His presence walks beside me. And my redemption awaits. My redemption awaits. And so... I can look at what's taking place and my heart can break. And, I, 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 and we'll talk about that in just a second. And, and, and I, my tears can flow. And I, I, I can be perplexed and I can be uncertain. I can be afraid. But I'm to straighten up, put my head back, and know with certainty that these trailers, these movie trailers, these precursors remind me and are foreshadowing of the time when my redemption is near. It's near. Well, we looked at the sandwich. We looked at the bread. What's the meat? The meat between the bread, and we've finally gotten here. The meat between the bread is the parable. Look at verse 29, and he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. He told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. Jesus uses this parable as an illustration. He's not using it in the, in the matter uh, of teaching like he's used a lot of his parables. He uses it as an illustration to reinforce his message. And he uses the annual cycle of all the trees. The buds come out. The leaves come out. The fruit comes. The fruit ripens. The leaves turn brown. Where I came from, they turned orange and yellow and crimson, but here they just turned brown. Uh, but they fall, and the leaves and, and the trees are bare. But then it begins all over again. One morning you get up and you see the trees abut it. And the next morning you're up and the leaves are out. And Jesus is saying, he, he, he says, when the leaves appear, it's a sign of life. If you have a tree that, that, that goes through that process and spring comes and, and it's time for the leaves to be shown and there's no leaves, you know something's wrong with that tree. That tree's dead. There's no leaves on it anymore. Um, we, we had a couple trees out there. I think the little one that we still got out there, there's no leaves. It's dead. Our, some of our shrubbery, a lot of our shrubbery didn't make it. The leaves are dead. Those leaves are a sign of life and they're also a sign of the nearness of summer. When you see the leaves, you know that it's not going to be long before the fruit's going to come. And, and, and you're going to get to enjoy the fruit of that tree. 
What's the point? Jesus is saying this, just as you can observe the trees and know that summer is coming, so you can observe world events and know that the consummation, the kingdom of God, which is our redemption, is near. It's near. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this moment in time as we easily see the signs of a troubled, broken, disfigured world? Well, based on this text, we respond with certainty in Him. The things that we're seeing today do not signal the end of the age. But they are the leaves on the tree. They are the leaves on the tree. And it's, it's, it's hard right now. But it's nothing. It's nothing compared with what those will go through at the end of the age who don't know Christ. It's nothing. It's hard. But I can live with certainty. It's the trailer. I can see the leaves. I can see the leaves. Secondly, we respond. How do we respond? We respond with courage in Him. We're not going to live with drooped shoulders and bowed heads. But we'll stand up and we'll look up to the only one who can resolve the bigotry, the hatred, the mistrust, and the lawlessness that exists today. Laws don't change people's hearts. Christ does. I'm not saying that you don't pass laws. You do need to pass laws. But laws don't change people's hearts. Only Jesus can change a heart. Only Jesus can change a heart. So how do we respond? We respond with certainty in Him. We respond with courage in Him. But we also respond with compassion because of Him. Remember what Jesus did just a few days before He gave this discourse? He comes into the city of Jerusalem and as He draws near to the city of Jerusalem in chapter 19 and verse 42, He says, When He drew near and saw the city, He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You don't see them. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He weeps over the city. Just as Jesus wept over this city a few days prior to delivering this discourse, we must weep with compassion over our broken world. It's not enough to look for, look for Jesus' coming. We need to reach out with compassion. Well, how do you do that? Well, Micah 6.8 helps us and gives us an answer. As Christ lives in and through us, we're to carry out justice by acting justly. We do the right thing. The right thing. We are to love, depending on which translation you have, it might say to love mercy, to love faithfulness. It's that beautiful Hebrew word, chesed. That's where you get to do your H, you know. It's that beautiful Hebrew word, chesed. 
It's translated mercy. It's translated steadfast love. It's translated love. There's no one English word that can grab the concept of chesed. There's no one English word that can do it. We are to, to love mercy and faithfulness and steadfast love and loving kindness. And we're to walk humbly or to live humbly, obediently, carefully before our God. That's how we make a difference. That's how we treat people. You see, what happened to Mr. Floyd didn't disturb me as much because he was a black man with a white man on his neck. It disturbed me because I saw a person treating a person created in the image of God with such horror. What makes us value is not the color of our skin. What makes us a value is not our intelligence. What makes us a value is not where we're at on the economic scale. What makes us a value is not our education. What makes us a value is whether or not you're, whether or not you're disabled or, 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 or have full faculties. What makes a person a value is the fact that they have been created in the image of God. And you touch any man, any woman, any boy, any girl, any human being, and you touch the image of God. That's what this world's got to get to. And that's what we've got to display before them. May our Lord enable us to live with certainty, courage, and compassion in this present broken world as we wait with confidence, with confidence for the world to come, looking to and trusting in the author and finisher of our faith. I trust and pray that you know him today. Our God is a righteous God. His righteousness is demonstrated by the fact that He's the judgments that we've read about today. Sin has to be dealt with. Sin is an affront to God. And the only way that we can be made acceptable to Him, it's not by trying, it's not by changing, making some resolutions, it's not by going to church, it's not by getting baptized, it's not by, by making a new resolution, it's not by making some outward changes. What makes me acceptable to God? I can't do it. I'm stuck. Because God demands perfection. Every day, every moment, without fail. And I broke that mold a long time ago. And I still break it. But my hope, as the hymn writer wrote, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Jesus, Son of Man, Son of God, came and lived the life that you and I could never live and offered up that perfect life of obedience to the Father on the cross. He bore the wrath. He took the shame. He took the guilt of our sin. And that when we put our faith and trust 
in the person and work of Jesus Christ to make us acceptable to the Father, we have eternal life. And something happens. Scripture says we become a new creation in Christ. The the old is past, the new is coming. And that's just the beginning. As as God now takes us on this journey of, of changing us from our broken, sinful selves to someone who reflects and images God more perfectly. We become like Him. We go on that journey. And then when we stand before Him, it will never be complete on this earth. But when we stand before Him, what's it going to be that first moment when we realize no more sin? No more sin. No more sin. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, we invite you to do so today. And for those of us who are believers who have put our faith and trust in Christ. We need to, it's easy sometimes just to forget about this world. It's easy sometimes to say, you know what? It's doomed, it's damned, so be it. Let me just kind of hunker down where I'm at, keep my head low, and just make it through until Jesus comes or He calls me home. But that's not what God's called us to do. God's called us to engage engage to show the life and love of Christ in a world that has no idea that it even needs it in a world that has no idea of what it's all about are things hard right now? yep but what a time for the light to shine what a time for the light of Jesus to shine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that is ours. We pray, Father, that you would help us to live out our lives and our faith where our loyalties lie with you. Lord, I pray that you would be with us, give us your wisdom. Lord, we just thank you for this time and, and this moment. And we ask your blessings upon each one of us here today. Lord, if there's someone here that does not know Christ, and Lord, if you know Christ, you know it. You know it. His Spirit bears our, with, with our spirit that we're the children of God. There's no doubts. Though at times we do. We, we, we know it. We know that we have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, you would help us to respond to your word today in a way that honors and pleases you. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we don't have an altar call, but we do have an invitation. I don't know, I don't know your heart. I don't know your need. I don't know your history. Some of you I know better than others. But I don't know anybody's heart. I don't, even, I don't even know my heart very well. I don't even know my own heart very well. But God does. God does. Will you yield to Him today?
you yield to him today? Will you yield to him in your fear? Will you yield to him in your suffering? Will you yield to him though things are uncertain? Will you yield him in your anger? Will you yield to him in your complacency? Will you just yield to him today? And allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart and life. It will take you on that journey. Either beginning, being born again and beginning a life with Christ, or that journey of walking with Him, becoming more like Him. We're going to go to the Lord in a time of silence. And after a time of silence, we'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you for this day. Help us where we're ignorant. Give us wisdom. Give us humility. Give us compassion. Father, help us to live our lives this week as a, as a light in a world right now where the darkness seems to be just foreboding. where the darkness seems to be extinguishing the light. Father, we hope not in this world or the things of this world. They're passing, they're futile, they're powerless, they're temporary. But our hope is in you and in the power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit we pray that you would keep the evil one away. Lord, for those who are seeking positive solutions, seeking justice, Father, I pray that as the God of justice, you'd grant that. God, you'd help us to be merciful where we need to be merciful, to be gracious where we need to be gracious. And Lord, I pray that we might live our lives this week not with stooped shoulders, not in fear, not in hopelessness, not in dread, not in perplexity, not in distress, not apopasuke. Father, that we might straighten up, lift up our heads, and know, be certain that these trailers, these leaves on the tree serve as a warning for those who do not know Christ that judgment's coming and serve as a comfort for those who do because your kingdom, our redemption, 
is drawing near. May we live our lives this week in a way that magnifies You and Your name. May others see Jesus in us this week. And may we have opportunities this week to share the hope that we have in a troubled, mangled, distressed world. Thank You, Father, for allowing us to live in this time, in this day. We thank You for the comfort the conviction, the confidence that is ours in and through Christ Jesus. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. Amen. God bless you.